There's not a lot of role-playing games where walking the dog's an important part of it. There should be more games there like that. Be. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial RPG tabletop talk. My name is Russ, aka Morris, and with me is... I'm Peter Coffey. I'm with the Southampton Guild of Role Players. It's super excited to be here. So, Peter, before we sort of delve into all the latest releases and the Kickstarters and all the other news, what's kind of exciting you this week in the world of RPGs? And one of the things that I saw straight away that appealed to me was uh, there's a game called Monkey coming out, which is another version of Journey to the West, which is like this massive bit of Chinese folklore legends right, and things. Yeah. It's like Robin Hood and King Arthur all wrapped into one. And it's the story of how the monks took the scrolls which contained Buddhism from China to India. Wow. Which is in the westward direction, hence Journey to the West. So what's the gameplay? Gameplay, I don't know, because oh. I've only seen it on the website, but it looks really good. And you may have seen a little cartoon, not a cartoon series, a little anime live action series uh, in the early 80s called Monkey Magic. I may have heard of it. That was actually a Japanese version, but there's also like a, the, the Chinese version, which comes on something like 24 DVDs. Mm. But yeah, it's like a, you've got Sandy, Tripitaka and Pigsy being the name of a pair of demons and of course Monkey. Uh, but the actual Chinese names for them are, uh, what's it? Monkey is Sun Wukong, which is like literally the Monkey King. Uh, you've got Zhu Bajia, which is Pigsy. Sandy is Sha He Shan, which is the Sandy Monk, mm-hmm. which is there. Uh, and Tripitaka is actually Tan Sin. So yeah, I would be interested to see whether they went with the Japanese names or the uh, Chinese names. So when is this coming out? Was it a Kickstarter? I don't think it's a Kickstarter. I, I, I didn't see it on the list of things that were coming out when I was like diving into it. Could be a Kickstarter, might not be. That, that, that was something that caught my eye while I was looking at the uh, website earlier. I also liked, there was a really good one for um, Tomb of Beasts. They've got Tomb of Beasts Component Edition. Mm-hmm. Wait, uh, Tomb of Beasts was like, I think it's Cobalt Press. Yeah, that's what it's yeah, yeah. like third party publisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, I know mostly because I have it. And it's been great for scourging the players with, ah, players. Uh, where would we be without them? Much sadder. Um, well, the players. Uh, but, well, yeah, if we didn't have players, we wouldn't be able to run games. <laughs> it would be awkward, certainly. It would be, you'd just basically be sitting there telling stories to yourself. At that point, you might as well get a proper job. That just sounds like Saturday night for me. <laughs> good to know, Russ, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Tomb of Beast Component Edition, it's basically, so you've got all these fantastic beasts, you killed them all. Bits do you get out of them? And that, that seems to be what that was about. So I thought that was quite interesting. Has anything caught your eye? Hmm. Well, last weekend, as you probably know, mm. I went to UK Games Expo. Ah! Yes, you did mention it. I did I was super jealous and, of course, super excited. Oh, oh! did you, you play Pathfinder 2, didn't you? I did play Pathfinder 2. So, we need to know. What is it like? Is it good? Well, yes. <laughs> oh, you wanted more than that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yes, so, so I, I, <laughs> go I, on, Jerry. What I want. I think. I think the, t- the takeaway thing for me yeah, yeah. was, and the thing that I was wondering about was, mm. would it feel like Pathfinder? Yeah. Or did it feel like an entirely new game? Mm. And I came away from that definitely feeling that I'd been playing Pathfinder. Mm. It still felt like the same game. That's like good. the details are different, but oh, okay. But the the okay. game the game feels the same. Uh, in like it keeps the crunch or yeah or just you know how you know games feel different to each other like D and D fifth edition feels different to Pathfinder yes and you can't you can't really sort of like identify exactly what it is that that feeling is hmm. 
But there's a different feel to it. and yeah. It's sort of like a look and feel thing. Yeah. Which are, by definition, hard to quantify. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. So I really enjoyed it. So what we did was, there was just um, the one encounter. Mm. Uh, it was a one-hour playtest slot. Okay. And so the first 20 minutes, the GM was um, introducing the game to us and yeah. introducing himself and breaking the ice and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was about 40 minutes of actual gameplay. Okay, yeah. So we had one encounter, which was probably about three rounds of combat. Okay, yeah. Which I think sounds slow, but there was an awful lot of stopping and explaining stuff yeah, yeah. and talking to each other and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it was uh, this little setup. There was this um, campfire with some zombies and skeletons around them. Mm-hmm. And we sort of snuck up to the campfire, mm-hmm. fought the zombies and skeletons. And then this cleric, I assume he's a cleric, he had yeah. a mace. And as we all know, only clerics can use maces. Absolutely. Yes. It's a historical fact. Yeah, well, you know, you, you don't want to go spilling blood because that would be unholy. Just breaking everyone's bones into tiny little bits. Much more hazardous. That's just fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he comes out of a cave and then we kill him and that's the end of it. So, you know, it was, it was a really short little thing. Yeah. But yeah, it felt like Pathfinder. I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah. Have they said anything about the design principles for Pathfinder 2? My comparison to Piff Dead is all like, what's it? Um, exploration, role-playing, and combat. Yeah, so they've got they've sort of got a three-pillar thing going on, mm. but it's a different one. Um, if I can remember correctly, um, we had encounters, yeah. exploration, mm-hmm. and something else. <laughs> <laughs> like, so long as there's underground Vietnams that need exploring and purging of their inhabitants, then there'll be lots of D&D things but, like that. Complexity-wise, yeah. it kind of feels to me halfway between I mean I, I can't say for sure I literally played three rounds of combat don't know what it's like at higher yeah. levels it was first level characters yeah. so you know who knows but it felt to me sort of in between Pathfinder first edition mm-hmm. and fifth edition in terms of complexity which I think is about pitched right for me personally mm-hmm. so like maybe a little bit less or complex but without being completely streamlined yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I'm one of those people that likes a bit of crunch and I like Absolutely. tinkering around with numbers and bits and pieces like that. I know some people like to just jump straight into the sort of storyline mm-hmm. stuff. I like to tweak things a bit oh, yeah. too. Everyone likes different yeah. things. Yeah, so, you know, different tastes and everything. But yeah, it's it's pretty much in between the two, I think. Little knobs to fiddle with, adjustable yeah. settings, you know, fully customizable characters. Very much what you want and expect. Lots and lots and lots and lots of options. So what have they taken out to make it a different thing? Or is, are they added or are they taken out? I got the impression, could be wrong, took stuff out. Well, as you know, I mean... Not a um, bad thing. They're, they're, they're not printing an English edition. Um, it's, on, it's only going to be in French. That would be problematic. What if we fall set? Uh, no, so, um, yeah. so, so when you say taking out, I mean, obviously, like, Pathfinder uh, 1 is... Or have they, like, condensed? I mean, you've said it's different, and it feels similar, but how is it different? Well, well Pathfinder 1 has, I think it's, um, I think, last time I counted, mm. 70 trillion and 42 books. Mm. Exactly. About, yeah, that sort of all. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, Pathfinder 2, so far, is one book. Or point eight of a book. Or point eight of a book, yeah. yeah, yeah. Something like yeah. So exactly. or a draft of a book. So obviously they've taken ninety nine percent of these sort of player options out of the game mm. for now. Yes, but they're looking to reinsert them. What would you say they need to do with Pathfinder to make you know Pathfinder two? Yes, that's the game. That's what I want to be playing instead of Fifth Dead. Hmm. Or more relevantly, yes, this is why I should be playing this instead of Pathfinder One. Okay, I'm not speaking for anybody else here. No, but your personal opinion. It, it kind of feels a l- bit to me like, mm. say, Fifth Ed is a is like an amazing gateway game. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really, you know, Wizards of the Coast are doing a massive job at just bringing in, like, millions of new players. Mm. And that game is really, really good for jumping on. It's really good for streaming. It's, mm. you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's so popular for it. So. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's just the right level of complexity for that sort of thing for new players to jump on, mm. jump mm. in front of the camera, scream, scream, <laughs> <laughs> stream. <laughs> you can That's stream, right. stream, they'll be screaming while they're streaming. Yeah. Awesome. So, so Pathfinder's never really been that game. Oh. Pathfinder has always been a sort of, you know, a, a crunchier sort of approach to gaming. Okay, Pathfinder, yeah. you know, largely requires miniatures, fifth edition. A lot of people don't use them. Yeah. Things like, not that you have to use miniatures in Pathfinder. I've run, yeah. you know, I've run campaigns and barely touched them. Yeah. Yes. But if you want something a little more advanced, mm-hmm. a little more customizable than, say, D&D 5th edition, mm-hmm. that might be your, you know, or one of your choices for a go-to game. Yeah, yeah. And given that they're starting again now, if if they wanted like an on-ramp for it, this is, mm-hmm. you know, this is a good time to do that. Okay. Rather than jumping in at book number 742 trillion. The volume of Pathfinder material currently out there. It's intimidating, isn't it? Yeah. There's certainly one way to describe it, yeah. yes. Uh, a lot of it going on. Okay, so that sounds pretty good. Um, so it might be a chance to sort of like maybe do a bit of a reboot iron out some uh, niggling problems that might have been there. Yeah. Because the first time you draft a system, it's never going to be brilliant. And they've got, like, what? How long has it been going now? Since, oh, 2000? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 10 years at least. Yeah. yeah. So in that time, I imagine they've got some substantial player feedback and they may have one or two ideas well, about how are, to make things better. There were some fairly substantial changes. Yeah. Like, for example, the action system. Each mm-hmm. round, you get three actions now, oh, which okay. you can spend how you like. You can mm-hmm. attack three times. You can move three times. Mm-hmm. You can move and attack. You can attack and move. You can attack, move. And there are other things you can do as yeah. well. Um, uh, so you could like go spend all your movement on attacking, spend all your movement, spend all your actions on moving around and sprinting off down the hallway and so forth. Or you could like just stand fight. We could do some sort of like, oh, they see me. They don't have a hide. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. And it was, what was it before? It was just like, there was a move. You'd, get, you'd have a move action. Yeah. And attack. A, uh, yeah, a regular action. And, like, and then you'd have bonus like, reactions. yeah, this, like, this is kind of. Quick like, actions, maybe. Yeah. Like, this, this, this is kind of later on where I kind of like started sort of like losing it a bit with yeah. Pathfinder 1. Mm. There's a lot of sort of swift actions, quick actions and yeah. things like that. Like little baby actions. Yeah. When, when it's like not big enough to be a proper action. Free actions. Yeah. Stuff. I mean, it's been, it's been a few years since I've played Pathfinder 1. Yeah. And so I can't, I can't fully remember all the intricacies, but. Mm. But so. it definitely felt like it's the same. It's, 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 it's kind of streamlined in that yeah. sense. So it's just, there's three actions and you can, you know, you can do three things, whatever those three things are. Although it turns out, uh, spell casting. Mm. takes between one and three actions, oh. depending on how many components you have in your spell. Oh. So, you know, like, traditionally, D&D has its somatic, material, and verbal, and verbal components. Yeah. So, if you cast a spell with somatic and verbal components, yeah. that's two actions. If you cast one that's just a verbal component, that's one action. With you, because you need a separate action for each of the components. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know how that plays because we didn't really see any of that in the playtest, but mm, mm. it'd be interesting to find out. It would certainly make spell selection a bit more of an intriguing problem because certainly I know material components do tend to be neglected. Mm. That's a bit of a necessary bookkeeping to be kicked to the side. But yeah, okay. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they've done with material components then, whether or not... I assume you're not actually going to be bookkeeping them because I think that's pretty much dropped out of favour in pretty much any game Oh yeah, yeah. these oh. days. I think, uh, like, fifth ed, you've got 
some you've got material components. You've got you've got a pouch full of them, and that's all that matters. And sometimes they're consumed, and sometimes they're not. And that does that would make a difference. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else did you pick up from um, UK Games Expo? Well, I was, it was a flying visit. Yeah. I was only there for an afternoon. Um, so I wandered around a bit. I picked up some Klingons for the new Star Trek game. Yeah. What's the uh, the, the Star Trek game like? Because I I played a beta of the Modifus version. You played more than I have. Oh, okay. Yeah. I have a copy of it. I haven't played it. Ah. So tell me, how did it go? You've, you've played it. Well, it was, how to say, it was it still in beta uh, at, what's it, Contingency this year, it was year before, or maybe even year before that. Mm. I forget. But yeah, uh, it's quite good. There's uh, a fair bit of technical crunch to it, which I thought was an interesting choice, because to me, I've never really thought of Star Trek as being all that crunchy. Uh, but yeah, there was uh, some good stuff that I recall. The Probably the most memorable thing about the modifier system is you're attempting to roll low on the D20. Is there a 2d20 system, is it? Uh, yes. You want like a 1, or you get like a focus or something, so you can like, basically the more focus you have, the more numbers that count has like double success. Right. And you're sort of building up um, like a pile of momentum or something they call it. I can't mm. remember. You're, you're supposed to spend that to increase the number of dice you roll, which obviously, because you've got skills, which are like, in the region of 9 to 14, and you're trying to roll equal to or under that, RD20, one's a critical success, a focus number, like a two or something, you can buy skills to increase, increase that range, and give you like extra successes, which means extra momentum, which means you've done... I'm just going to make a face up, I've followed that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's all about like building up like successes, so that you can then spend them, or your team can spend them on your round, and you're also supposed to be like, sort of doing deals with the devil quote unquote where you get you say to them okay you can have a doom but that means we get more momentum which means we can roll more dice because we really want to succeed on this but i don't know if that's been really coming across because in the games i've seen which admittedly it's very few the dm doesn't seem to be getting a lot of the doom tokens so yeah. uh it's intriguing i basically need to play more modifers more role-playing games for us oh we all need to play more role-playing games absolutely yeah. Why would you suggest that one go were one to live in a town such as, oh, I don't know, Southampton, and one were just uh, at a loss on, say, I don't know, a Wednesday night? And you were wondering, you know, I'd quite like to play some role-playing <laughs> games. Where, I, 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 I'd probably just go around the pub, to be honest. Uh, yeah. uh, let's be honest, going to the pub is never going to not be a strong choice, uh, but I do actually run the Southampton Guild of Role-Playing <laughs> Oh my god, what a coincidence! <laughs> and here you are talking about role playing games with me. I know, right? It's the Third Age Millennium Centre, which is on the corner of Onslow Road and Cranberry Terrace. Doors open at 6.30 and we play through till 10. We've got space for new people to come along and always try and keep that diverse and inclusive atmosphere going. Because, yeah, it's how we roll. So, how many people have you got there now? Uh, we've got 40 to 44 people coming through the door each week. Wow. And 65 people have paid us membership because we do have to charge off. The first time's always free because, you know, first hit's always free. <laughs> <laughs> it's like £10 gets your year's membership, which takes session prices from £3.50 to £2.50. And we've got like another 264 members on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of members. For now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh well, talking of fifth edition though, mm-hmm. 
Oh. Were you aware of the latest announcements? Uh, about uh, Dragon Heist and Lords of Water League? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's, I am aware of it. I'm a bit cautious about such things. I'm like, when I have it in my sweaty, sweaty hands, mm. then, I'll, then I'll believe in it. But until such time, I'm like, oh, yeah. We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Did you see any of that stream of eyes they ran all last weekend? Oh, no. I missed that completely. It was completely gutsy. I only found out about it after it came out. I was like, oh, oh right. Okay. That, that, that would have been relevant to my interest. Well, I, I missed it because I was travelling around up at UK Games Expo. Yes. So I kind of had to find out about it afterwards, just like you. Yeah. But, oh, it sounds really good. I'm quite excited about this. Yeah, the, the bits and stuff that I've read about online and so forth have been... Uh, sort of a city of thieves. Yeah. And there's like a mini adventure, but really what most of it is doing is teaching you how to run uh, D&D style games in an urban setting, which, yeah, I'm banging alongside. I love a good heist, me. So this is just our pilot episode. Next week, we'll do a deeper dive into Waterdeep Dragon Heist and Dungeon of the Mad Mage and give it a bit of special loving attention. So anybody who wants the latest on those two books... Tune in for our official episode one next week, where we'll unpack, unpick, and generally delve into everything we know, or don't know. Anyway, on with the show. So what are your general thoughts on the sort of general D&D focus on the Forgotten Realms for the last four years? I'm not super excited about Forgotten Realms, because I find a lot of the names nonsensical and hard to pronounce. Like there's a chap called... Sildar Hallwinter, who's in like one of the main books, Lost Minds of Fundelva. And I was, I've been recently running it. One of my players called their character Silas. And my brain said, you know what? Silas is much better named than Sildar. So now I've got a tall Silas and bit beardy Silas. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I'm empowered to make sure my players have a good time. Uh, and he's a good chap. Eh? He doesn't mind me taking the mic. Well, I hope not. Never mind. <laughs> he's still playing. So isn't that the important thing? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and all those strange phone calls you've been getting at night, they're not from him, are they? No. No, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, but no, um, the Forgotten Realms, yeah. I mean, but what, what are the other places that you could go? Like Spelljammer, uh, that's one. Well, there's, oh. there's rumours about more, more D&D settings coming in later this year. Oh, interesting. Nobody knows which. Mm. Um, but Nathan Stewart, who's mm. the brand director over yeah. at Wizards of the Coast, he said, and I have I have to quote, Ooh, yes. actual quote. Ah. This makes this like actual news. Exciting, oh, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> isn't this good? <laughs> so um, he was talking to comicbook.com mm-hmm. over at that stream of eyes thing. Yeah. And um, he said that uh, Wizards plans to open up a couple more D&D settings for play later this year. Mm-hmm. And what he said was, it's going to be more like, you have to imagine this in an American accent, by the way, which I'm not going <laughs> to do. <laughs> Probably for the best. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be more like at the level of how Barovia, mm-hmm. introduced in the Curse of Strahd adventure storyline, is in terms of stuff. Here's a thing that's going to give you a taste of the setting, but we're not going to get to that setting yet. We're just letting you get in there and start doing it. Fantastic. I'm not sure what that means exactly. Well, that would jibe with what I've heard, which is it's basically supposed to be teaching you, saying, here is a setting, go play. So well, like, my, my guess is they're opening them up on the DM's Guild for oh, fans to write material for them. I think Interesting. I mean, there's, there's different ways you could interpret that that sentence, and yes. that's, that's, that's what sort of jumps out at me. Hmm. Okay, so yes, this will be a thing that we'll support, but we're not going to produce much beyond some initial maybe, maps. Yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe. Maybe, no, I don't know, stick a PDF, uh, an intro 
PDF up on mm-hmm. DMs Guild mm-hmm. as a sort of reference point, mm-hmm. and then just say, "Hey, you DMs Guild authors, mm-hmm. you can just start writing for this setting." There's a huge amount of fan base. Was it like D and D games or what? Ninety percent of the market, something like that. Yeah, yeah. something Crazy. ridiculous. Yeah. Ah, wow. Uh, which is wonderful in many ways. I'm pleased that role playing is expanding. Um, but there are many other role playing games that are not D and D, which are still quite good fun. So I think those games benefit because I think what happens is when the when the sort of market leader is actively bringing in you know, millions of new players to the hobby, eventually, I mean, I know trickle down is a bad word, but <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think in this case it's valid. I think yeah. I think it affect it benefits everybody over time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think a large, strong, robust market is good for every producer within that market. Yeah, and if the market leader is the one to take on the burden of you know growing that market, bringing in the new players, acting as the gateway, you know, I think we should all be you know fairly grateful for that because us smaller players in the game can't can't do that. No, that's true. Don't have the resources. I mean, yeah, like as a hobby, having more people doing role playing. I think that's always going to be good for yeah. It's like big old worlds, you can play D&D and other things as well. You sometimes see online people that sort of resent the success of D&D. Yeah, and I do find it a bit odd. Yeah, yeah, and I think, well, why? I mean, yeah. it doesn't. it's not taking anything away from anybody. Yeah. It's growing the market. Mm. It's benefiting other producers. Yes. It's not It's not stealing players from other games. Yes. I, I mean, to be honest, like if you've got Dungeons and Dragons... And, like, I'm sure I can expect Wizards of the Coast to be sending some hit squads after me, even as I speak. But it, it's it's all much of a much, I think. It's like your level of crunch and complexity varies. I think it's really interesting that, by far, the top two most popular RPGs yes. in the entire world are two different flavours of D&D. Mm. Yes. <laughs> D&D and Pathfinder. And then behind that, I think, what is it? Star Wars behind that. Mm-hmm. Fantasy flights, Star Wars. Yeah, they're using uh, the Genesis system. The was it Triumphs and Successes? Yeah, I can I could never get to grips with all those dice. It's fine, it's fine. It's just like you know, you 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 get a big handful of dice, like with some hazard dice thrown in there. You got some ability dice. You whack it all out, and somebody else reads it for and says, "Oh yeah, these all." Yeah, somebody well. else tells you what it means. <laughs> I played um a Warhammer. Is it the oh the fantasy oh, flight version of Warhammer? Yes. Warhammer fantasy roleplay. Yeah, uh, with, with 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 those same. I don't know if they're exactly the same, but it's definitely mm. a similar dice system. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. We played it for about six months, and I'm sure that in that entire six months, I never learned how to read the dice. <laughs> <laughs> I roll the dice and I look around at everybody else and say. What's that mean? And yeah. like, oh, well, the comet matches the sword and takes away from the... St- uh, what? <laughs> I think this says more about you, Russ, than it's about the game. I think it might, <laughs> it might be. No, no, but um, I think they're bringing out a new edition of Griffith, aren't they? Are they? I heard. Are they? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Cubicle 7 are bringing out a new edition of Wolfram. Ah! Sorry, I have to contain my excited screen noises. Oh, yeah, so, cu- <laughs> yeah, so Cubicle 7 mm. have the licence to produce Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. They announced was earlier this year, was it late last year? I can't remember when they mm. announced it. And um, it seems like the game's due very soon. Mm. I thought it might be coming out at UK Games Expo, but I didn't see it there. I think it's probably after September, because I've got some players who are like, yes, you want to run it? I'm like, yes, I do, but... I've got some more stuff. Or maybe a Gen Con launch, perhaps. Oh, that would be maybe nice. I have to send the roving reporter over there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I think there's also the Warhammer 40k as well. Yes, there is. Ooh, how exciting. It is being produced by Ulysses North America. Oh, okay. It's being developed by Ross Watson. 
Mm-hmm. He's he's been doing development on Rogue Trader and Death Watch, mm. as long as previous 40k products. Nice. Um, so he's you know he's experienced with the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Warhammer 40k Wrath and Glory. Ooh, nice. Good name. Um, launching 2018 with the Wrath and Glory core rulebook. Right. Mm. I should definitely have to have a look at that when it comes out. Yeah, there's, I don't know much more about it, I'm afraid, but that, there's, there's a teaser trailer online if you want to Google that, but right. other than that, 40k later this year. So Kickstarters, there's um, Spectacular Settlements for 5th Edition by Nord Games. It's a guide to creating trading posts, villages, towns, cities and capitals populated with detailed NPCs. Sounds interesting. Very useful for starting GMs, I imagine. I can sort of see it being quite a useful condensed course in like archaeology and like, you know, what you have castles for, a bit of economics. And just generally helps like add a bit of a very similitude to to your world building. Yeah. Um, Okay, what about this one then? Part-time gods, second edition. Oh, interesting. So this is Eloy La Santa. I don't know if I've pronounced that correctly. And Third-Eyed Games. Um, it's a second edition of a role-playing game about modern gods. Oh, uh, very new game. Oh, there you go. References American Gods, Almighty Johnson's, The Four Comics, and Percy Jackson novels. Mm. Right. Okay. So also on Kickstarter, what have we got? We've got Acute Paranoia. Ah. Box set full of treason and summary executions. Is that related? To, it is related to the Paranoia RPG. Yeah, produced by That's Mongoose mean. Publishing, a boxed expansion. Yeah. That's no, uh, interesting. So it's like basically, what was that doing? Uh, expanding upon the base game for Paranoia? They've released a new edition, which I haven't seen. Apparently it's like changed a lot, but... I haven't seen it myself. No, yeah. no. I remember the Kickstarter. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it, it contains a troubleshooters, suitors, troubleshooters survival handbook, which features healthcare plans, legal pharmaceuticals... Uh, perfectly legal bingo cards... <laughs> A Game Master's Despotic Power Book with locations to drag and drop into a mission. Mm-hmm. A mission book, which looks like it contains three adventures. Mm. New cards, wipe clean bot identity forms, and bingo cards. Interesting. Back this project, all the terrorists win. Yes. Uh, I, think, nice. I think that's the message, yeah. I think they're really leaning into their like you know, dystopian future theme. Okay, yeah. so this one. This is a Swedish one. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right, I've got a fun game. I'm going to tell you what it's called, and you have to guess what it's about. Mm-hmm. So it's called Agents of Concordia, the role-playing game coming from Strangewood Studios. So what do you think that's about? Uh, See how close you get. I think it's going to be about some people that are going to be acting for others are going to be based out of a city or state called Concordia. So it's called Concordia. So I'm going to say it's agents. So I'm thinking like not super modern. I don't think it's a sci-fi game. Maybe I don't want to say steampunk because I'm thinking, oh, you're nodding your head. Excellent. So like 18th century sort of jazz where you've got like, I don't know. Is there a lot of brass and cogs going on? I'm going to give you two out of ten for your guess. Okay. <laughs> Just miles off. Miles. You honed in on the word agents, which was a good... I did. But yeah. everything else was... Was it super right? <laughs> so, um, basically, what we have here is a bunch of parallel dimensions with mm. magical fantasy worlds in them. And yep. it's set in 1960s Earth. 
Oh, okay. And people are kept in the dark about these other dimensions. Mm. And players are special agents with the Concordia Central Intelligence. Ooh. Is this uh, similar to Tales of the Loop? Oh, I same guess so, yeah. Or? Um, no, it's Strangewood Studios. Oh, okay. I don't think it's the same publishers. Yeah, that obviously is quite like Tales of the Loop. A lot of, these, a lot of these Swedish games are gorgeous. Mm. I've noticed these over the years. They're just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, no messing with that. Yeah, the, the production values are yeah. out of this world. Yeah. And they always seem to end up in sort of like the most anticipated games of the year as well. Mm. They always, you know, they always do really, really well on those sort of polls. Yeah, yeah. I suppose once you've seen that sort of uh, cover art, because that, that is quite gorgeous. I mean, what have we got there? We've got... We have a man. A man. We have a man, Peter. Oh, well, it's some sort of figure. I don't know if I say it's a man, because they've got kind of a pointy head, so that might be a man bun. It might be it a might man be with a hat. It might be a woman, yes. <laughs> we just don't know. We just don't know. We don't like to, don't like to guess. We can't enlarge the image. Yeah. <laughs> there's a dog. Oh. There's not a lot of role-playing games where walking the dog's an important part of it. There should be more games there like that. Be. I think you're right. There's a gap in the market. With in that. fact, I think there should be a role-playing game based solely on that concept. Next one. Okay. okay yeah, you're yeah. right. Should we try the same game again? Let's do it. I'm enjoying this game. Oh, this is the best game I've ever played. <laughs> Helheim Unbound, the core rulebook by Nat Skinner. Oh, well, Helheim is saying to me quite Viking, uh, and by which I mean Norse rather than Vikings. Obviously, the two are different. Yeah. Uh, is it H-E-L-Heim? H-E-L-H-E-I-M-M. Yes, yes. I'm guessing some sort of Norse-based supernatural game where they're descending into the frozen depths of hell to, I don't know, fight stuff. Hmm. Okay. Probably. You're right. You're right about the Vikings. I'm going to give you five yes. out of ten on this one. Woo-hoo. I really like this game. <laughs> I don't like this game. <laughs> a role-playing game designed with quick resolutions and narrative play. Yes. Used as a generic system, mm. but included is an example setting of the dawn of the Viking Age, where players embark on daring raids with Vikings or enlist with King Charles on his crusade to spread the boundaries of Christendom. Interesting. Would not have got that name. No. <laughs> Would not have got that from the name. You got Vikings, then. I did. Okay. All okay, right. Next, next one. one, next one. Okay. <laughs> the Curse of Rosloff Keep. High level 1E and 5E gaming adventure by Scott Taylor. I think the title has given that one away. I, I think it might have something to do with like Savage Worlds or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, is that the wrong, wrong system? <laughs> uh, old latest Star Wars adventure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I'm guessing there's a keep or castle of some guy called Rosloff, and he'll probably like kick his doors in and stealing his stuff. Well, apparently this is a six-part mega campaign, <sighs> starting at tenth level. What? Designed for first edition and fifth edition D and D. Does make more sense than you might think, but not it's second, fun. third, or fourth. Just I, first I or fifth. I thought second would be a good fit, but personally, doesn't say second. Okay. So it's first and fifth. You're not allowed to play it with second. Then's the rules. I'll play before. <laughs> I'll get Vagabonds of Dyfed out and I'll play it. I'll be like, ah, oh, yeah, you thought you could stop me, but you were wrong. <laughs> so. A mega campaign starting at 10th level, because like 10th level at 5th dead is... It's quite high. That You got you get some serious power on your players at 5th dead. Mm. Uh, like, you know, they cause... I'm not picking this from any particular thing, like things like animate objects, where they cause your pillar to come to life. Start hopping around and batter your fire giants to death in a grisly fashion. I'm like, oh. Okay, next one. Yes. 
High Pass Chronicles Hold the Line. Well, there's some sort of ongoing series called High Pass, I'm guessing, which is why they have Chronicles. And Hold the Line evokes in my mind with High Pass a sort of a 300 vibe, but I'm thinking more fantasy. So you've got like a bunch of burly dudes in armour standing and saying, look, no orcs, no trains. Okay. Guess the system. Oh. Oh, interesting. Because obviously I want to say D&D. I have like a nice percent chance of being correct. <laughs> my, my face is not giving anything away. <laughs> uh, we should play poker sometime. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't. <laughs> or perhaps we should not. <laughs> yeah, uh, what was it? Is it 5th Ed or Pathfinder? It is 5th edition. Hey, there it's um, a first level adventure going up to 4th or 5th. Um, it says it's not written in a linear fashion. Mm-hmm. It's designed in a semi-linear fashion. What do you think about that? I think you've said some words there. <laughs> I think what they're trying to say is this is not completely on the railroad. I guess so. It's At a little bit. certain it's... points in the adventure, some things will happen, it says. Really? Well, I do hate those adventures where you go and nothing happens. It's like the worst. At certain points in the adventure, some things will happen based on these decisions that will advance the story forward to the next stages and an inevitable conclusion for this adventure, one that may have several different outcomes. Are you saying actions have consequences? I think so, yes. I, I, I can't endorse that. Uh, all role-playing games should be consequence reaction at all time. <laughs> no, no, that sounds really interesting. Okay. So it looks like the, the players are soldiers, according to this. Mm-hmm. The first adventure introduces the characters to life at high pass mm-hmm. and what it means to be a soldier learning a lifestyle and basic duties. Second one, you have more freedom. Um, your leaders have you shouldering more responsibility at the fort. Okay. And the third contains the crucial stages of the adventure where the characters have discovered something of strategic importance that has consequences for the fort. Bum, bum, Doesn't that sound exciting? I, I could play that. Okay. Can you guess what this next Kickstarter is? Are you ready? <laughs> okay. Are you ready? RPG dice potion bag with fantasy dice potion flask. That sounds like less of a game and more of a stuff thing. Oh, I did see something quite cool on Reddit the other day, which was basically like you had all these little bottles and they had the correct number of healing dice you rolled uh, in the little bottles. So, and some sort of bag to keep them in. Is something that? like that, perhaps. Oh, oh, yes, yeah, like those little test tube things. Yeah, yeah. so it's like a test tube full of uh, dice. Well, well te- technically, I'm just going to be really boring here. Those are actually boiling tubes because test tubes are smaller. True story. Boiling tubes are bigger so that they can have more specific plastic to ball stuff in. You're very interesting. I am super <laughs> interesting. I'm glad you realised that. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so we have multiple boiling tubes mm. filled with dice. Yes. Which slot into this leather bag, nifty yeah. looking leather bag, um, which comes in mm. five different colours. Ooh. Tan. Yes. Dark brown. Mm. Black. Mm. Blue ocean. Oh. Which is different to blue. Yes. And a leaf green. Oh, if the leaf green is nice, I am tempted already. You can just, ba- if you basically paint it dark green, put some gold trim on, I'm like, I must have it. Take my money. But yeah, I'm just weak that way. Uh, and how many dice? Do you get like a bunch of dice with it? Do you get dice with it? Um, the RPG Fantasy Potion Plus comes with polyhedral dice set. Mm-hmm. Ten mythical creatures come in the name of the Dice Potion Flask, available in ten different monster. I don't quite understand what that means. Oh, it's because they because you've got the exterior of the bag has got all those funny names. 
right. blue and green. They're the they're colours, I think. Of, of the thing. And then you've got the names of the dice. So you've got black dragon dice, and they're all black. I see. Yeah. And red dragon dice, and they're all red. What was that? Wow. Leviathan? Leviathan? Uh, yeah, just, oh, 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 <gasps> Look at that! And it comes in a nifty little holster. I know. Wow! How cool will you look walking down the street with your dice potion bag hanging down? Your I leg? would, I would wear that. I'd like have that. Like, I mean, what's that? That's like, uh, that'll be about eight inches long. I, I very much enjoyed the qualities that they described this dice holster with. Oh yes. Are yes. you ready? I'm ready. Number one, unique. Yes. Number two, durable. Made of leather, strong, hard, it's sensible, leather. sensible. Yeah, yeah. Number three. Yeah. Feathery. Feathery. Okay. I, I'm not trying to immediately say application, but I'm, I'm sure that's also true. And what, what's the last one? A fantasy. Okay. Yes. That is certainly things you can describe it with. Um, so, so it's not actually like a set of healing dice. It's basically you keep your dice in one of these like glass tubes, the cock. Yes. And then, and then the thing. pouch contains your glass tubes, which you can, if you choose, wish to wear has a fashionable side holster. Yes. Just in case you're like, yeah, you come down to, like, I can just say it now, you know, it's high noon at the role-playing game con. It, you know, you're face off against your arch enemy. It's like, go for your dice. They're, they're fumbling in their rucksack, trying to get out their, like, dice bag as you effortlessly flip up the top, part the test tube, bam, dice. Ah, oh, good times. Hmm. That, that's how role-playing games work, right? That's exactly how all my role-playing games work. That's good to know. <laughs> I see I've been playing new wrong. Anyway. <laughs> uh, right. Let's have a look at some of the new hobby releases that's come out in the last week. Yes. yes. Did you know, Peter, that this week was released RuneQuest, role-playing in Glorantha? Ooh, RuneQuest does ring bells. I've never played it. Glorantha... I know they've done like a setting for Thirteenth Age, but I haven't. But I don't know about RuneQuest itself. Is that a board game or is that actual RPG? Yeah, it's an RPG. RuneQuest is an old RPG. Right. It's had multiple editions over the years. Okay. Um, I've never played it myself, but I'm given to understand it's you know one of those proper old classic cult favourites. Yeah. And Glorantha is um is a very very sort of well known setting that goes back <laughs> decades. Okay, yeah. Um, so this is, is a percentile-based system. Mm-hmm. Is that like a basic role-playing sort of jazz? D100? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so that, that released... It was it released on RPG Now and DTRPG this week. Mm-hmm. I saw yeah. that myself there and uh, actually bought a copy. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I mm-hmm. will do. Yeah. What do you think of the cover? Nice cover. Oh, okay, so... Nice man dressed in blue. Well, he, to me, he's very strongly evoking like um, Indian myth and legend. Because blues are a very holy colour in India, like Krishna, is uh, one of the Hindu gods, is always um, portrayed as blue. Uh, he appears to be carrying some sort of sword that's at least partially constructed of lightning. It's got some uh, nice, nice greaves on, and we've got various people uh, coming down. What at the sky? Do you think? I um, I think they're. Are they walking uh, down a mountain? Are they walking down a mountain? Or are they just? Or are they in the sky? They might be in the sky. They do have a in the sky look about them. To be fair, we're looking at quite a small version of this cover. It, so it, it is quite small, but yeah, I, I got the impression of like you know, sort of um, from that cover, that says to me we are like basically gods, and like we're here to kick ass and do Bulgum, man. Bulgum hasn't been invented, so you best get on that before we. Yeah. Well, spoilers. <laughs> Sorry. I just say what it says. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at this one. Oh, 
Now, the modern action role-playing game. Oh, uh, oh, that looks good, doesn't it? What do you think of that helicopter and that police car? It, I, I think it's got a very cheesy 80s vibe. <laughs> <laughs> so, disclaimer, disclaimer that must be made. I, I published this one, so that's why it's the best one. Well, you've got, like, uh, what's old is new, and I do have uh, old and new, so it does look good. I haven't picked up now yet. I've got elite spies, ninjas, secret agents, weary investigators, elite hackers, shadowy ninjas, roving reporters, kung fu experts, weathered soldiers. Mm-hmm. It's basically the 80s brought to life. So you know all those 80s mm. action films and TV series? Yeah. All that sort of stuff. Yeah. So you could have the A-Team and Knight Rider and Commando and... Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and like maybe... Mix it in a bit of new and have a bit of Predator in there as well. Or you could do that too. The whole opus of yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger awaits. Driver Aston Martin DB5, perhaps, if you wanted. So, like, you know, uh, Play a mutant. Oh, nice. So, obviously, other games that would do that sort of thing would be stuff like Feng Shui. No, there are no other games. There are no other games. There are no other games. There's only one game. (laughs) (laughs) What are these other games you speak of? (laughs) I I know that. Let's move on. Obviously, it's like a big achievement getting any sort of book out. But, like, what's what's one thing that you'd like? Yeah, this is the bit I like. Yeah, I've done this bit. Sweet. I really like all the supercars. Oh, so I, when I was when I was a kid, I was a big, big fan of Knight Rider and, oh, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely, and, oh, Street Hawk with the bike. Street Hawk and oh. James Bond's Aston Martin and stuff yeah. like that. Nice. So we've got a vehicle design and customization system in there, which I just mm. love. Mm, that does sound nice. It's fun. Yes, I'm I'm, I'm feeling some cyberpunk roleplay brewing in my brain already. Excellent. Yes. All right, next out this week. Seventh Sea, Lands of Gold and Fire. Um, so, uh, this book is a supplement for Seventh Sea, uh-huh. which, do you remember, uh, was it last year, the Kickstarter, or the year before? I think it was the year before. Over a million dollars at the time, a record-breaking RPG Kickstarter. Wow. And it's only just been surpassed by Matt Colville. Oh, with yeah, his, yeah. Uh, was it Followers and Strongholds Kickstarter? Yes. Yeah, that's the one. And he made over two million dollars. But up until then, Seventh C was yeah. the uh, was the leader, mm. and um, the leader of the pack, as they say. Mm. And um, yeah, so Seventh C, Lands of Golden Fire, is a book containing material mm-hmm. for Seventh C, Lands of Golden Fire. It says <laughs> <laughs> this book contains material for Seventh C, Lands of Golden Fire, including new mechanics for backgrounds, advantages, arcana, stories, dueling styles, and sorcery. Have you ever played Seventh C? I've never played Sumpsy. It's, uh, I, I think, it, is that the one with Drama Dice? I haven't played it either. I couldn't tell you. People tell me it's one with Drama Dice. Uh, it's got, looks like it's got five new settings. Mandan, Mabay, Yeah, five, five nations, it says. Yeah, it's looking like from those names, like quite African and maybe Egyptian. Uh, Desert Land. Yeah, you've got Kemet and Maghreb. Well, Kemet would be quite an Egyptian name to me. Maghreb would be quite Arabic. Mabay would be like African, like a bit sub-Saharan Africa. Maybe. And Axum and Mandan, I can tell you. Uh, I'm just saying what the names are. the names, yes, okay. Yeah. Band of Blades. Band of Blades. <gasps> I know a guy who's going to be like... Blades super. in the dark setting. Super, super excited. So Band of Blades, that to me, that says uh, like it's like Band of Brothers. Dark um, military fantasy. Hang on then. Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a nine out of ten for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not in this kicks off segment, so we can't do that. <laughs> no. But that's, 
but it's still a good name. It's got all the usual blades and dark stuff uh, of like generating a band of criminals. It's a game about the remnants of a mercenary band named the Legion, retreating Ooh. from a failed offensive and armies of the undead. The Cinder King's generals, called the Broken, give chase across the nation of Aldermark and our legionnaires fight fresh horrors every night. Oh, I see they've kept the uh, cheery and upbeat setting. Yes, sounds yeah. lovely. What's going on? Probably perfect for kids. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just rush out and buy it for your five-year-old now. Yes. <laughs> That looks rather good, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Core Rulebook. An RPG of suburban 80s horror. Suburban 80s horror. Spielberg, Carpenter, King and the Duffer Brothers. Oh, Duffer Brothers are the Strange Things. Yes, people. yes they yeah. are. A narrative-driven storytelling game designed to evoke the warm memories of a lost genre of adventure. The VHS era. Hmm. 1980s is like super huge because like Tales of the Loop which I mentioned already oh there. yeah uh, nostalgia is such a big thing at the moment though isn't mm, it yes looking back to better days well that looks interesting Rememorex oh it's sort of like um, is that a spaceship on the front you know what that reminds me of that reminds me of an old VHS video case do you know what I mean I think it's supposed to yeah, yeah. Um, for our younger listeners a VHS was um, what we used before we had computers what does VHS stand for Oh, uh, video something system? Video home system? Quite possibly. I know VHS was supposed to be not to be because it's Betamax, uh, but was just a lot more popular than this right out. <gasps> oh, 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 I got that one. Vagabonds of a Die Fed. Yeah. Diffid? Die Fed. I, I don't know. I, I just quote Vagabonds um, because I can't pronounce. I think it might be sort of a Welsh sort of thing for Diffid, but there's nothing in the book actually to say about it. I'm actually quite interested in this because I uh, have been following Powered by the Apocalypse quite closely mm-hmm. because there's a lot of things that are quite attractive about it. For instance, um, you only roll the dice when it's important. I'm old and cold and covered in mold, so I, I don't like to waste my time anymore. Uh, so I want to like say, okay, this is important. Make this count. So you've got like sort of a tagging system mm. um, and you've got like various things you can add into it and they roll 2d6 and you add some numbers they should get 13 plus which is not impossible on td6 because you're adding plus three to it then you've got a critical success otherwise you haven't and what the idea behind that is is an attempt to get all the uh, second edition modules of which there's absolutely tons which all sound absolutely fantastic Mm. except the one small drawback being you have to know second edition to play them and quite frankly like, people keep on trying to explain Tarko to me, and I keep on understanding at the time, and immediately Explaining what, sir? T-H-A-C-O. Oh, I call it Tarko, because it's funny, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to hit armor class zero. Yes. But yeah, uh, so uh, what that does is that has ways to take the armor classes of monsters and hit dice of monsters and convert it into something that would be compatible with Powered by the Apocalypse. Okay. Uh, and also, like, all the various like, environmental things and lots of uh, different challenges... So, potentially, you could run a very OSR-style game using Powered by the Apocalypse, which I thought would never work, but I'm looking at it and thinking, oh, actually, that might work. But I'm an optimist. So, what I need to do is I need to find, like, a really good second-ed um, module uh, that people recommend to me, convert it, and then give it a run-through. Does sound rather marvellous. Because there's, like, like, what, 10, 20 years of, like, second-ed uh, modules produced by, like, 
hundreds and hundreds of people, so there's a lot of gold out there, which is currently not readily accessible. Um, and there's forms for that sort of thing, like um, Wizards of the Coast uh, brought out the, what's it, the, the Tales of the Yawning Portal, mm. which is essentially seven dungeons ported over from second and I think third, and also first edition, because mm. you've got Tomb of Hor- Horrors. Mm. Yeah, Tomb of Horrors in there, which remains still exactly as awful as it was the day it was made. All right, next, Wicked Pacts, a modern-day game of magic. Tabletop role-playing game about mages, criminals, and about how far you'll go to see that real justice gets done. Oh, you, you had me sold until you said real justice. I was hoping for more heists, because I like that. I'm a basic man, I like my heists. Oh, well, it's set against a backdrop of, and I know you do like covert wars. I do like covert And you are a fan of occult powers. I'm a big fan of occult But what powers. is your stance, Peter, on mm. supernatural menace? I'm pro role-playing games, con real life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I could do without supernatural menace in my real life. But yeah, no, that's, that's, that's actually, yeah. Nice cover with a strange symbol on the front. Uh, Very colourful. Yeah, you've got like some sort of 360-degree wheel sort of thing. That's got... As opposed to a... Glyphs. Oh, well, because it's got like little degree markings on it. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I I'm, I'm, I, from, from that, I would say it's like magic has a um, like a controllable but complicated force. Which is, yeah, not a bad way to do it. Okay, next one. Children of the Fall. Ooh. From Frenzy Kitty Games. <laughs> that's, a, that's a quality name. Would you like to play as a survivor of an apocalypse? Could do, yes. Would you like it more or would you like it less mm. if that apocalypse had turned all the adults on the planet into evil, bloodthirsty savages? We're talking about role-playing games, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, <laughs> just checking, just checking. Uh, Okay, yeah, I could see that being interesting. Quite, quite topical. There's a film coming out, uh, not entirely dissimilar, where all the kids get superpowers. Is that sort of a similar genre? I don't know if it has superpowers. It does say it's a GM-less story game. Interesting. Like uh, The Witch, which is um, one that I have played, and it's quite good fun. Mm. Uh, the idea being that everyone's sort of like taking turns and rolling around in scenes. Have you you've played Fiasco? I have not. You haven't played Fiasco? Oh, well, we'll have to... Have to get you to play Fiasco so you can like have a have a go at that. That's a GMless story game. Okay, so yeah, that could be that could be quite interesting. Right, next on our list, Middenard, fifteenth century England. Apparently, Middenard means the middle abode. The middle abode. Hmm. Okay. The earth as it is situated between heaven and hell. Nice, like it. Yeah. You are an inexperienced commoner, and you leave your home in search of better fortunes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. Okay. I'm getting an OSRV theme from... Yeah, I'm getting it, that it, kind of vibe from that, yeah. yeah was it uh, also the perfect time to end up dead in a muddy ditch? You're not the heroic adventurer bouncing from one quest to another. Right. Slaying all your enemies may leave you scarred and disfigured. Okay. So, so if you like Starker Dungeons, you'll love this. Sounds like it, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, next up we have Far Away Land. I'm liking the cover. It's like a cartoon cover. Of like Adventure Awesome by Simeon Circle Games. And everyone likes monkeys in a circle. I yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, they do. Uh, it's a fact. It's a, it's a well-known fact that everybody likes monkeys in a circle. And if they don't, I need to report for re-education. <laughs> Playing back on our Paranoia film. Yeah. 
Uh, we have the Poor Wizards Almanac 2, a basic D&D supplement by Wizards of the Coast. Mm. Would I miss out on anything if I haven't read Poor Wizards Almanac 1? I know not. It does pick up where the previous Almanac ended, it says, wrapping up major plots that started in the game year of AC 1010 and starting you. I suggest, I suspect, that you do need to read Poor Wizards Almanac 1. And it is by Wizards of the Coast, so yeah, presumably it is D&D. Yeah. And therefore, presumably 5th edition. Uh, no, basic D&D supplement. Basic? Yeah, they. I assume they, this, I I assume this is over on, yeah, Drive Through RPG, where uh-huh. they're doing a, they're bringing back an awful lot of, here we go, have a look, mm-hmm. uh, by like, print on demand. Yeah. They bring up loads and loads and loads of old stuff. Uh, that's quite good. Well, yeah, because like I said, that would be fallback with the Vagabonds of Diffed, mm. or Diffed, Vagabonds. <laughs> yeah, hmm. Incursion 1. Ooh, that looks like a flying saucer. That does look like a flying saucer and some people with ray guns. The original Incursion game, written in 1992 by Richard Tucholka, complete with all the rules he wrote on how to play the game and behind-the-scenes notes on writing Incursion. I must confess, I've not heard of it. Doesn't mean a lot. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Okay. How about this one? Mm. Tall Pines. What does Tall Pines say to you? Tall Pine says big trees to me, Russ. A tragedy trees. has befallen the sleepy mountain town of Tall Pines. Oh, so um, maybe a call out to Twin Peaks. Is so that, this, is, oh, well, right. this is a one-session card-based story game mm. where you discover, create, and explore a murder mystery set in a small mountain town. Mm. That's really interesting. Sounds like it might be fun. Yeah, it would fill the gap in the role-playing market. For like people who like role playing but are quite busy, and they want to do role playing with their friends, but sometimes you can't, and you you don't. Sounds like a good little sort of party game one off. Yeah. I mean, a bit more than a party game because it's an RPG, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Be good for one offs, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's like yeah, when you're like for whatever reason we can't play the main plot, we'll play this instead. Uh, you yeah, know, they can have like sort of episodic adventures. There's a lot of source books. So if any of our dear listeners have any GM-based questions, and by GM, of course, we mean General Motors. Genetically modified. Genetically modified questions. If you have any questions about General Motors or genetic modification, don't ask us. No, we're super bad for that. But if you have any questions about game mastering... We're still super bad at that. (laughs) (laughs) But but at least we'll give that one a go. Absolutely. All right. So uh, you can tweet me at Morris on Twitter. Um, How can they reach you, Peter? That's probably the best way. It's either that or write an email to southampton.guild at gmail.com. Okay. So the first question we have is from Toby. And Toby wants to know whether or not we think that a GM should use a GM screen. Well, that is an interesting question, and one where we have an actual legitimate difference of opinion. We did discuss this earlier today. Uh, I mean, obviously you're wrong, but that's okay. Well, I'm never <laughs> wrong. But... <laughs> so, okay then. Why, why, don't, why don't you take the the pro side, and I'll take the... Yeah, uh, GM screens are super useful. Um, they do take up space on the table, but that's okay, because as a GM, you're the one bringing paperwork to the table, like your notes, like books dice uh, and a lot of people don't like GM screens because um, they say you can't see the dice rolls but sometimes you need to hide your dice rolls from the players for instance if you're doing all your dice rolling in front of the screen 
uh, with no hidden information, then the classic example being the they're attempting to do some sort of like sense motive, insight check, you know, some way to turn off the NPC's thinking. It's a contested role, and if they know that they failed, that gives them metagame knowledge, which I'm afraid some players will act with. And also, I think the real point about GM screens is that hidden information, it can easily be misused. Put my hands up to it, easy to misuse. The thing about GMing is you should be having a good time whilst you're doing it, but you've only really done a good job if your players are having a good time. So coming up with ways to baffle and fool them is important so long as you're trying to baffle and fool them so that later when you reveal it, they'll be like, oh, that was really good. Not so you can say, oh, I'm really clever. You're really stupid. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Because essentially that's like super easy. But no, just a way for them to like have an air of mystery, which later on they can reveal and be like, ah, that was pretty sweet. So, you know, GM screens, that you do hidden dice rolls, keep stuff uh, on the table in front of you, like checking out maps particularly. Um, I'm showing my dungeon crawling roots here, aren't I? But yeah, I like it. I'm just wondering when you're going to read. It's amazing. Breathe? Breathe? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, if you read my friend, I breathe my ears. <laughs> oh, gone. You can have a go now. <laughs> well, it may not surprise you to know, Peter, mm. that I am not a fan of the GM's green. <gasps> for me, and I'm not talking about anyone else, but for me personally, oh, yeah. I don't like the barrier. Mm. I, I like that there's nothing between me and the players. I'm one of those GMs that likes to stand up at the table, maybe walk about a little bit, mm. stuff like that. I don't like sitting at the end of a table with a GM screen in front of me, mm. blocking my view of the players, then blocking you know, it, blocking their view of me. I, I much prefer a sort of more, you know, a, a, a more, well, I find it a more organic kind of, kind of free kind of interaction. Mm-hmm. I find a GM screen is just an impediment to that to me. Mm. I don't know why. Maybe it's, it's, sort of maybe I've just got some deep-rooted sort of psychological problem based on DM screens, <laughs> but um, I, I, I just don't like them. I don't like them at all. Maybe, maybe you need a short one so you can see over the top. Maybe, or maybe <laughs> I just need to be taller. I don't know. Just a couple. Oh, no. Oh, not the face. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I, I would say it, it does create a barrier and it would depend upon the sort of game you're trying to run, wouldn't it, I suppose? Would you use one ever? Like, what if you're running a horror game? Well, don't get me wrong, I have used GM screens. Okay. I mean, I, I've been playing games for a while now. Yeah, I've, I've used GM screens. Um, I can I, I can see the uses of them. I can mm. see why you'd use one. I'm mm. just saying how I personally feel about them. I, I don't like I don't like how it makes me feel sitting behind a GM screen. It separates me from the rest of the group. In some cases, that's really good. It like, sort of integrates you into the group. In other cases, you might want the separation. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah, it does lend an air of authority. Yeah. And uh, in the words of the immortal Erica Cartman, you must respect my fire fire. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so, Toby, unless you've got any further thoughts. Well, I think the answer to your question, Toby, is just do what you want and um, it yeah. doesn't really matter. Do, do what makes you feel best. Yes. Like, I like some screens because they've got like handy rules put on. You can whack little things on top, but you can do exactly the same thing without. Ah, and we've got a question. They're asking about session zeros. What are they? And do I really need one? Okay. Well, I can answer the first half of that. Um, a session zero is a, is a session in which uh, the characters and sometimes the setting itself is created as a collaborative experience between the GM and the players. Mm-hmm. And I would think also that's when you, if you're playing with an existing, say, rule system, that's when you say... And we're not using these bits. So where you'd lay out any house rules, mm. where you describe the setting or come up with the setting, um, mm. along with the players, where you set any 
basic parameters. Your hacks and your homebrew. For example. Yeah, yeah. The tone of the game. I use them. Yes? Yeah. I'm a fan of the session, of mm-hmm. session zero. I think it's useful. Um, I always enjoy character creation sessions anyway. I don't mm-hmm. know why I always have done. I also like listening to my players and sort of riffing off whatever it is that's happening in their heads. Mm-hmm. One, one, one trick I often use when GMing is if a player comes up with a better idea than I have, mm. I just run with it and pretend I thought of it all along. <laughs> if one of them goes, oh, I bet there's a vampire behind that door, I think, oh, I hadn't thought of that. There is now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but on a more sort of like plot-based kind of thing, you, you can change the plot if a player sort of like, you know, comes up with a better idea. I hear there's a lot of value to them. Like, if you can get people together and find out, get them talking about what sort of things they like. Yeah, and also gets, you know, especially if they're players you don't necessarily know that well. Mm. You can sort of find out where their boundaries are, what their tastes are, how they like to play. Mm. Whether they they like a sort of tactical combat game, whether they like a storytelling mm. kind of free-flowing improv session, you know. Yeah. I mean, would, would you choose the... Because uh, obviously you've always got the setting. Mm-hmm. Would you choose the system that you're going to run? Then? I think probably not, because when it comes down to it, if the GM isn't running a system the GM wants to run, no one's going to have fun. The GM, If the GM's not having fun, no one's having fun. True that. Yeah. A board GM is a board player. Yes. Um, so generally, certainly in my experience, the yeah. GM's always said, I want to run this system. And mm-hmm. people will go, yeah, I'm up for that. Yeah. So what what is the purpose of the Session Zero? The, the GM saying, this is the sort of things I'd like to see, and the players are... What's their input into it? It depends from group to group. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people, a session zero is literally just the GM telling them about the setting and they're mm-hmm. making characters. Right. From other groups, um, they might come to the table with a blank sheet and they might be designing the setting... You know, from a blank piece of paper, the GM might open session zero and say, right, what sort of setting do you want? A dark horror one? A, mm. a sort of uh, urban intrigue? Mm. High fantasy? You know, what's where, where are we going to go with this? And then between between them, the players and the GM could perhaps, you know, develop the type of setting, type of adventure that, that they all want to be playing. Okay, a bit like a microscope and so forth, where you're, like, doing collaborative role building. Mm. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, and there's a whole you know it varies all between mm. that. There's you know there's no set script for a session zero. I ask because it's something I've only relatively recently become aware of. Right, I I haven't actually tended to use them myself. Do you not have character creation sessions ever? I mean that's a that's a sort of session zero. Yeah, but it's, it's like, sort of low end, the sort of minor end of it. But yeah, yeah, I, that's what tends to pick up on what people want to do. Uh, one of the things that I saw in Fate which I really liked, but mm. I'm not big fans of fate systems. I don't, I don't know if I've, uh, I, I, I don't know, it's just something about it didn't really appeal to me. But one of the things I really liked was the, because you create your character, but you also need to create your group. Mm. And it's like that sort of like building up the group, group relationships. Yeah. Uh, because I am sort of, again, a bit weird, like not that big on backstory, but I really do like the group relationships. Because for me, role-playing games are very much where are you going, not just where have you been? Right. Well, there you go. That was our first GM advice segment. Our world-famous GM advice segment. Well, I think that's it for today, Peter. 
I think I'm all talked out about RPGs. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I've been delighted to be here. Uh, we hope you'll be back next week. I'm Russ, a.k.a. Morris. I'm Peter Coffey. And this is us signing off. Until next time. Bye. Bye.